Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scamlin, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is Jared Nichols. He's a deep future strategist, an executive advisor, speaker, and coach. And he's one of the few people in the world to hold a master's degree in strategic foresight. And he's sought out by organizations to help them identify and create their long-term successful futures. In fact, his insights are used across a variety of industries. They range anywhere from Fortune 500 companies to government to entrepreneurial startups and even Hollywood. He's also the host of the small business podcast presented by the National Small Business Association called The Road Ahead, Small Business in the 21st Century. And he sits on the leadership council for the National Small Business Association. Jared has published dozens of articles, and he's the author of several books, including his latest called Waypoint, Mapping the Future of Talent in the Age of Automation. And Jared is here with us today to talk about some of the trends coming up in business and how you can use them to discover new areas of growth for your business. Welcome to the show, Jared. Thank you, Kelly. Great to be here. Okay, uh, just a question I've been dying to ask you ever since I I learned about you. I've interviewed other uh, futurists before, but what is a deep futures strategist? What's the difference? (laughs) It's a very clever way of uh, distinguishing myself from the rest. (laughs) Well, see, you got me asking questions. (laughs) Absolutely. No, well, so I I explained to people like this that uh, there are a number of uh, futurists in different industries, and a, a great number of the folks that are in the field, uh, their primary um, role is usually in keynote speaking, talking about trends that could be coming, what the next 50 years look like. And a lot of them do a really great job at this, so not to be disparaging in any way, shape, or form there, but the uh, the issue I kept running into was being lumped in that same category. Now, certainly we can talk about what the next 50 years might look like, mm-hmm. but always look at it this way, that if I take you to the future and just leave you there, well, there's, there's no present day value in that except some entertainment or some, oh, that's really interesting. And then we go back sure. to our day-to-day lives and nothing can really be done. So when I look at, you know, the, and the, the term deep future strategy actually comes from the military. In fact, foresight was really born out of the military after World War II, being able to anticipate alternative futures and uh, allowing people to make uh, contingency plans for scenario one, two, three, or four. And essentially, that's what looking at the deep future is. It's not just looking at the next five years or even 10 years, but looking at scenarios within scenarios. So if we're saying that, uh, you know, in 20 years, uh, this certain thing may be happening, what we want to start to do is look at what's the human response within that type of scenario so that we can better anticipate the type of uh, actions that we need to be taking today in order to get out ahead of that avoid disruption, um, and ultimately uh, ensure that our businesses or organizations are relevant. So that's that's a quick snapshot of what it does. No, it makes perfect sense. And you're not, like you said, you're not just going to lead us to a vision of the future. You're going to talk about how we can apply, how we can start making changes right now so that we can take advantage of 
that situation when it finally materializes. Uh, so you, you cover some of that on your podcast. You you cover uh, small business and uh, how to operate in an uncertain environment. Of course, what's going to happen in the future is always anybody's guess. It's it is uncertain. So so what kind of specific topics do you tackle on the podcast? Yeah, so the podcast is a little unique. Um, and I'll back up just a, a little bit here to give you – it's a fairly new podcast. Mm-hmm. So Todd McCracken, the CEO and president of the NSBA, he and I had been talking about ways to introduce foresight into the small business arena, uh, simply because if you really look at the value of foresight, it's ultimately to affect public policy. I mean, we can sit all day and talk about what the future might be, but when it comes down to it, things are still done in Washington that dictate or create the environment that we have to operate in. So rather than lobbying on behalf of small businesses and entrepreneurs uh, in a reactive posture, we wanted to find ways to incorporate foresight so we could start to influence the discussion in the direction before it actually oh. gets there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the first we threw a couple ideas around like, oh, well, let's start a committee. And, and he and I both said, <laughs> no, let's not do that. Committees tend to slow things up. And we also wanted to find out if, if folks would really grab onto this. Uh, because it's always hit or miss. You can walk in and talk about the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years and what you need to do now. And, uh, you know, some are very receptive and others just don't, you know, they don't want to hear it. So right. uh, so the idea came after uh, actually being on shows like yours. Uh, I, I love the discussions that I was having with uh, some of these other hosts. And I thought to myself, hey, I, I think I'd like to do something like this. Because a big part of what I do when I go in and work with an organization and why I can work across several different industries is that, I bring a process. My expertise is in process, not in, um, you know, like a specific industry. And I rely on industry experts, the people in that organization, to share their insights and their knowledge about the industry. We marry that together with the process to uncover what the future might look like and what they need to be doing. And so a big part of that for me is I always say that I walk away learning so much. I'm always learning something new. And so that seemed to really fit well with being able to have conversations with industry experts across the board and I just brought the idea up to Todd. And within 10 minutes, he said, will you be hosting? And I said, yes. He goes, okay, let's do it. <laughs> and that's how it started. And so our approach was really not to come in and say, we're going to talk about all the crazy emerging trends and genetic modification and designer babies and you know, all the things that we, in the future is the foresight field, we really mm-hmm. get excited about looking at. But say, how can we have discussions, how can we tap the intellectual capital within this vast organization? I think there's 65,000 members in the NSPA. How can we tap that intellectual capital and share that with other small businesses and other entrepreneurs? And, uh, and that was really the goal. And looking at it saying, what proactive things can people be doing based on those that are experts in their industry and have been in business for a long time? What insights can they share that can be of value to other members and people outside the organization? Because I always look at that yeah, everybody, we're always thinking about the future, right, Kelly? I mean, yeah, absolutely. even now, you know, you and I, folks listening to this, we're thinking about maybe the next, you know, the next five minutes. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm totally focused right here. <laughs> but, no, you know, but I mean, seriously, about- it's, the, it's the end of the year. We're op- obviously, we're looking at 2017 at the very least. Absolutely. Right. So we're always doing it anyway. So my, uh, the way I look at it is, why don't, why don't we get really good at it? And mm-hmm. people have a latent ability to become very good at foresight. It's not just something that a few people have the ability to to do. It really is a process that can be transferred. So the podcast was to help us start to create that conversation and uh, really start to get people thinking about what we can and should be doing in order to uh, effectively grow and how we need to be thinking about 
uncertainty and and yeah and so that's how it got started and where can people hear your podcast is it on itunes it is yeah they can go to itunes uh, and of course i can provide you a link uh, or anything that you need that makes it easier for your listeners but uh, if you go to itunes and just look up the road ahead small business mm-hmm. in the 21st century you'll you'll find it very quickly or of course folks can go to nsba.biz and they'll see under the media section uh, they can find the podcast and uh, yeah it's there Okay, well, let's stay on that then for a minute. We're talking about small business. We're talking uh, to a futurist here. What are some of the opportunities that you see coming up for small business? And I know that you're about trying to influence some of the factors, the legislation, the policy that will allow these opportunities to um, actually come to fruition. You want to, you're more proactive than reactive. But, but talk to us, you know, within that context, what kind of opportunities if we're able to influence policy and some of the other things that you mentioned, what are some of the things that lie ahead that we can take advantage of? Well, that's a, that's a, a great question and one that we could go really deep oh, on. Oh, exactly. General, My whole book. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I would say this is that, uh, you know, for small business, and you know this very well, obviously, Kelly, I mean, I've, you've been doing this for years and you've seen businesses grow and collapse and you've mm-hmm. you know, advised people. And, and so it, not a lot has changed in that regard. What, uh, you know, businesses are still starting and growing and then some aren't making it. And a lot of it really has to do with uh, what I kind of look at as uh, situational awareness or environmental awareness. Uh, most folks are operating because it's most small businesses tend to be in the survival state when there's a, a great deal of uncertainty, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the risk aversion goes way up and it t- starts to become the circling of wagons because we're not sure where the next dollar's going to come from. Or if you're in the retail space, you're competing with the big box stores or Amazon or you know, any of these, these things that uh, tend to be uh, daunting for many small businesses. But, the more that small business can uh, step back and look at their opportunities from uh, the standpoint of uh, people's reaction to change. And, and what I mean that by that is that we can, we can look at artificial intelligence, big data, all these things that could be, you know, that are going to definitely be a part of our world. But where business thrives is on, first and foremost, the human response to those changes. Mm-hmm. So rather than looking at trends and issues, better understand how have we responded to change and adversity in the past and really getting focused in on here's my target audience. Here's the group of people that uh, I create the greatest value for and have the most rewarding experience working with. How have they historically reacted, right? Uh, mm-hmm. How might they react to these changes that are coming down the road? And and that may sound kind of counterintuitive for a lot of people that are looking at opportunities for business because they're usually looking just at the market. But the market is going to grow based on people's perception of security and certainty. I mean, you look at big industries like in North Carolina, where I live in Charlotte, I think 98% of all the NASCAR teams are right there within a 25-mile vicinity of the city of Charlotte. Well, NASCAR is a perfect example. Their demographic has traditionally been uh, blue-collar, working-class, white men, and they have seen a huge drop-off and people being uh, at their races. And a big part of this has to do with demographic changes, but also changes in the way that uh, they've been impacted by, you know, um, the working environment, manufacturing, and so on. So Mm -hmm. there's all these other elements Mm -hmm. that give us clues as to how 
uh, our target audience groups may be changing or thriving, but also how they may be responding. And then that right. allows us to do a couple of things. Either one, start to create awareness or product service, adapt what we have in order to meet that potential change, or to start looking and saying, who is our new target audience? Who is our new group here? Now, I say that because so much of the things that we see coming down the road, these big changes, uh, are outside of the control of small business owners. So yeah. we have to really look and say, what do we have control of? What can I be thinking about more strategically? And what steps can I be taking right now in order to, uh, to stay ahead of that disruption? Or, as I like to try and get people to think, how can you become disruptive? <laughs> So. Ah, yeah, that's a whole other uh, conversation. Okay, let, let's oh, yeah. talk about, we've been talking to people, the human element, how you react, um, and, and so forth. Let's talk about uh, the human element when it comes to our businesses, not as customers, but as um, our employees, our staff, and how to recruit for talent in this uncertain time that we live in. And, and just from what I'm hearing from business owners, um, a, a talent pool where you'd think it would be expanding because there are so many people, but really it's shrinking in terms of the skill matchup for the jobs that they have available. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, I, I think that's just the root of it is uh, uh, just a, a flaw in our education system on a wide scale, right? Uh, and I'm not going to get up here and just start bashing education. I mean, education is certainly important. It's one of the key uh, pillars in our society, but we have it just just as everything that's created for the public good or for the benefit of society. At a certain point, it will either consciously or unconsciously uh, become more self-interested than uh, public interested, if, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So sure. you look at the university system as an example. Uh, they are the Titanic trying to shift and change, and it's very hard to move that ship. And so we, we started to become very reactive in uh, the way we were training children. I mean, even today, they're still pushing STEM education. I've got a five-year-old who's in a STEM academy. And I, I kind of look at it this way, is that STEM does not benefit us now. It, be, it was a benefit to the students 20 years ago who were actually involved in it. But if you look at jobs and automation and artificial intelligence, to be teaching kids how to be engineers right now, is is still putting us behind. Our kids need to have skill sets that are around communication, around creativity, problem solving, critical thinking. And so when employers are looking at the talent pool right now, what they're looking for is jobs that need to be filled right now. Mm-hmm. And they're finding that uh, so many of these folks either don't want to do that type of work or they don't have the proper training because maybe they, uh, maybe they did what I did and they came out of school with a liberal arts education or they, uh, or they work in the service sector, which is the uh-huh. largest sector in our, our country, the fastest growing. And, and the difficulty there is that it doesn't create product. It's a business based on intellectual capital. Yeah. So finding actual hard skill sets is difficult. And that's why I think we see a lot of folks uh, trying to recruit from overseas where they're still focused on an industrial path, right? India, China, yeah. uh, where we've really lost sight of that. So that I think is one of the difficulties. And then there's just the practical part, which is, uh, you know, complexity and regulations that seem to pop up out of nowhere all the time from Washington mm-hmm. that, uh, that really have no uh, benefit to anyone. And what I mean by that is that I had no idea how many regulations there were until I actually went to Washington. And, uh, you know, I, I'm definitely somebody who believes that we need to protect the environment. We need to pre- protect workers. We need to be thinking about the future. But when you have layer upon layer of regulation that makes no sense at all, it really just starts to, you know, 
pull more money yeah, out of small business. Yeah. 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 Then, then that just, you know, that just makes it difficult. So a lot of businesses that I've worked with, their difficulty was finding somebody with a certain skill set. And then not even a year later, they need to have a different skill set. And then they can't find anywhere where they gave that training. And then all of a sudden they're out of compliance. And then they're getting, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it just, so. Yeah, it's a vicious you know, circle. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you said something, you said something interesting. You said that um, right now there's a focus on STEM, that we're trying to train people to become engineers and be highly professional, uh, proficient in mathematics and, and science and all the other things related to STEM, and that that should have been happening 20 years ago. So as a futurist, looking 20, 30 years down the road, what should we be training for now so that we don't make the same mistake that were you know that we made twenty years ago, where we were not teaching for in or when we should have been teaching for engineering. If that makes sense to you, I kind of go oh, that absolutely. question. But yeah, no, no, I love that question, uh, and I'll probably have a lot of people disagree with me on this. But um, really, I think that what we need to be focusing is on critical thinking and creativity. And the reason why is we already have programs, you know, algorithms, computer programs, learning machines that are learning from their mistakes and correcting it, and can work together without human intervention. And so. If we're starting to teach our kids how to code right now, we're, we're way behind the eight ball there. I mean, uh, we need to get out ahead of that. And instead, the creativity, the critical thinking, and again, right, I, I just it divulged that I graduated with a liberal arts education. Mm-hmm. And you know, so I'm kind of swinging back that way and say, these are the skills that we have ignored or we have, we have kind of brushed off as well. The humanities are fun, uh, but they really have no practical value in the market. Well, that's just not true. I mean, look at our current state right now. We have a severe critical thinking deficit in our country. Now, you know, you look at this past election, right, and just how vitriolic on both sides people have yes. been because they're reading news stories or they're quoting this. But it's like they're outsourcing their ability to think constructively and creatively to news sites and having these conversations on Facebook rather than face-to-face. And so we have become very reliant on technology, but human beings need to go back to those things that – uh, have kind of been brushed off as, well, those are nice to have, but they're not going to pay the bills because we need to be able to work in conjunction with machines, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, there's the fear that, oh, well, robots are going to take my job. No, I just think they're going to be the coworker next to you, right? The metaphorical cubicle next to you is a, is a machine. And so mm-hmm. our creativity and our ability to, uh, to create and to think critically and problem solve is really going to be, I mean, that's going to be the gold standard. Uh, yeah. you know, over the next 20 years, and that's where we really need to focus. So Yeah, and I, I don't think you're alone in that. I'm hearing more and more people talk about uh, the fact that we we shouldn't be so quick to brush off the liberal arts education. And, you, you know, you see um, these lists of majors that actually cost you more money to have than you'll ever make in your lifetime uh, having <laughs> studied that major. And, and the liberal arts, you know, history, English, uh, some of the others always fall towards the bottom uh, yeah. or uh, towards the top of those kind of majors where, you know, they're, they cost you more to get them than you'll make uh, in right. your career. But I think I do think that the discussion is starting to come back and, and the value of those are seen. Uh, a lot of the business owners that I work with have liberal arts educations and uh, they you know they become business owners uh, let you, you mention the cubicles and that you'll have a machine in the cubicle next to you can you envision like people did many many years ago that oh we're going to have this paperless office can you envision a uh, a work environment in the future that is officeless where people uh, are all remote or do you still see us having this need to come into the office well i, I think it goes i think it's both uh, first, I always start with uh, 
human beings we're we're gregarious by nature yeah. right i mean we we social. we are designed to be social we want to be around each other so i mean despite despite the culture that says we are self-made it's all about me the individual we thrive off of other people's uh, interaction and so i do think that we're still going to have those types of spaces I mean, I mean the short answer is i really don't know what it will look like but i always again go back to what's the human response what are the human needs that would need to be met in this type of scenario mm-hmm. and that gives us greater insight so i think it's going to really be a blend of both I, you know for example right now people look at the millennials and i uh, i fall in gen x and we get ignored all the time <laughs> So you look at the millennial generation and everybody's trying to anticipate what the next 10 years is going to look like. And most of it's focused really on that. But I have to remind people, say, look, you know, my generation is not the same as it was 20 years ago. And we look at the baby boomers. I said, don't forget, these were the hippies. So you have to say, we have to marry up the changing dynamic within, say, the millennial generation. What type of, you know, environmental things? would change their belief or their focus or their mode to go in a different direction or continue on the same path, because that will give us better insight into what type of uh, work environments, environments are being designed. Um, are they slowing, are they utilizing technology but still slowing down? I mean, you see a lot of them going back, right? Vintage, well, I want vinyl. Uh, I want yeah. something that's 30 years old. So it's not just this easy brush of all, oh, they just want technology and don't want to talk to anybody. I think that's lazy. I mean, you know, lazy to think that we have to look at all the different ways that they're, um, you know, making decisions and, and the work is really going to be shaped and driven by them right now. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I talked to some people who have actually said we are going to um, approach at some point in the 21st century uh, a work environment in which we don't have to go to an office and that um, it will reshape the way our communities are built out. It'll have implications for urban planning and all kinds of different things. But I, I agree with you on we, we are social by nature and you can hide behind a screen for so long because some of the advocates of this say, oh, you can communicate even better in that kind of environment because you can you have all these chat products and you have all these projects management um, platforms that allow people to jump on and participate uh, more fully than they could maybe in a meeting where people are afraid to speak up. But that's still not the same as as getting in front of somebody in a room and really rolling up your sleeves and and figuring things out. It's just not the same. Exactly. It's not the same. And it also goes to show that uh, we're still going to want to do that. I mean, right now we have uh, record, record levels of depression and anxiety. And a great deal of that is because human beings cannot, we, you know, there's been several studies and I can't cite them right now, but, <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm sure most folks listening will, will have heard these, but is that human beings are, we have not evolved to the point to handle the technology that we've created. Mm-hmm. So we don't know how to react to it. We don't know how to utilize it in certain ways. I mean, I think this is also why we see just such uh, some of the ugliest things that come out on social media and everything else is because, you know, people respond very differently. But again, it goes back to why we need to have those communication skills. I mean, I, I like to have face-to-face conversations. I like people to be very honest with me. Uh, the worst is somebody who thinks, well, I don't want to hurt his feelings. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, no, please feel free to so we can move on and we can actually, you know, really work because uh, that's in our best interest. So uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the with people saying, well, sometime in the 21st century, we'll have a paperless office. People won't have to go to work. We already have that now. So... Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, unless you're working for a big company that says you have to be here, um, 
what I think goes to Kelly is this. I mean, so much, so much of the conversation around work, and these are just some of the antiquated ideals that I think need to be trashed, is that, one, uh, people getting paid for their time. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm in consulting and advising. I never bill by the hour. I think it's a ridiculous practice. I really do. Mm-hmm. It's old school, it, and it also just devalues the work that you can actually bring to a customer. I mean, I would much rather put, pay somebody if I said, look, this is what I need to have done. Whether you get it done in five minutes or five days, I don't care. This is what it is. Well, now they're incentivized to get it done faster and, right. you know, better. So, yeah. you know, yeah. right now we look at the, uh, even the debate about women being paid less than men. I can't even believe that that's still a debate, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it just seems ridiculous that that is something that's like, well, you can still justify. There's no justification for that. But it's right. because we're looking at hourly wages. Yes. And those were fine when we had the production lines when people's time actually you know, matched up with productivity. The more you did it, the more productive you'd be. But that's not the world we live in anymore. We have more and more tools that can get a job done in five minutes as opposed to five days, yet we're still paying people based on their time at the office or their right. time that they've clocked. And this is what I think is really slowing down some of the changes that could help to accelerate the workforce, and especially for small business. I mean, you know very well, uh, having to make decisions about hiring and then overtime, and then health benefits, and all these things that really fall into a former structure that doesn't really fit the changing dynamic in the workforce in the 21st century. So, yeah. uh, so there's my plug to get rid of the hourly wage and start <laughs> pay people based on, you know, not not to, not so that people, you know, people immediately. My wife and I go, but my wife's a social worker, so we, we go back and forth this all the time. I'm not an advocate of saying, hey pay whatever the market will yield and somebody gets paid $2 an hour. No, I don't think that that's right. But what I'm saying is we need to look at the value of the human contribution and then be able to assess that uh, correctly. And I think yeah, that'll you know, change yeah, so much yeah. for us. A lot, lot of truth there. And it reminds me of a story um, uh, you know, someone told me or I read somewhere where um, uh, somebody, somebody gets hired and, uh, in a consulting type of situation. They come in and they solve the problem in 10 minutes and send a bill that uh, seems outrageous to the customer. And so that took you 10 minutes to solve. How in, how in the world can you justify charging me this much? He goes, it may have taken me 10 minutes to solve, but it took me 20 years of experience and learning to be able to give you yeah. that solution in 10 minutes. And so that's what you're getting at is that it's more right, about, right. about that. But, you know, we could talk forever. I can't believe how much the time has flown. Um, but we're going to have to cut this off now. Tell me again where our listeners can go and hear your podcast because you talk about these things all the time on your own podcast so it's the road ahead small business in the 21st century and that's available where uh that you can find that on the nsba's website so uh, there's two podcasts i I assume you're talking about one uh the futurist and then also the nsba Mm -hmm. but the nsba said if you want to hear interviews with small business owners from across the country we don't quite dive into some of the deep i mean we definitely dive into some of the deep you know philosophical issues of business but uh but it's really practical, great advice from people, uh, both within the organization and outside the organization. And um, so you can go to nsba.biz, and you'll actually find the Road, excuse me, the road Ahead podcast there uh, or on iTunes. Um, and then if you're, if you're wanting to look at some of the other uh, – some of the work that I do that talks about a lot of this, there's a ton of free resources on my site, which is the jarednicholsgroup.com. Just go under free resources or podcasts videos, articles, uh, folks can download the eBooks uh, that are on there as well that dive more deeply into uh, some of these. And uh, of course, if uh, anybody has a question, I'm always, I always enjoy these conversations. So 
Oh. Absolutely, and I can tell that you do. So jarednicholsgroup.com. Go out there, click on the resources tab, and there's all kinds of information, podcasts, and, and tools uh, at your disposal. And you can also uh, get to his books from that site as well. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today, Jared. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. It's great being here. I really enjoyed it. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.